Podcraft. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everyone, to this show, Nonviolent Communication 2 and How to Overcome Negative Bias. I have another juicy conversation with Steve Torma. Steve was on the show a few months ago talking about nonviolent communication. And Steve is trained in nonviolent communication. He's also trained in radical honesty, restorative circles, permaculture, and creation spirituality. He is also the co-founder of The Real Center here in Asheville, North Carolina, that trains and gives classes on compassionate communication and intimacy skills. So in this episode, Steve talks more about nonviolent communication, reviews some of the concepts, including talking about more of our needs and requests in our relationships. He introduces evolutionary psychology and mismatched instincts, which include negative bias, the tendency to see what's wrong. And I wholeheartedly agree with Steve's opinion that the greatest cause of human suffering is around negative bias. So in our conversation, we talk about tips and tools to overcome negative bias and how to change this habit. Because it's not about ignoring the feelings of needs not being met, it's more of noticing and observing the needs that have been met. So we have choice then in order to create the life we want. So before we get to the segment of our show, I want to once again thank our sponsor, Still Point Wellness, here in Asheville, North Carolina. Still Point is a spa in the truest sense because all of their various services, including the saltwater flotation and Esalen massage, are designed to encourage effortless relaxation to reconnect to your body's wisdom. I especially love the saltwater flotation or sensory deprivation as it's known because you can drift away in total relaxation on top of 1,500 pounds of Epsom salt water in the float suite. This experience is the perfect tool to assist you in just letting go of stress and anxiety and reach deep states of relaxation. So check out stillpointwell.com. And when you mention the code PREPO, you get 10% off your first saltwater float or your first Esalen massage. All right, everybody. So I hope you find this conversation with Steve Torma inspiring. Nonviolent communication too, and how to overcome negative bias. We're back again, and we're going to be talking more from our last conversation that that we had, and segue into some real good topics that you and I just love. I, I love to be with somebody that also probably has similar books on their side of the bed, and know that that's actually entertainment in some way because i get so fueled by it (laughs) and i know some people out there going you got to be kidding but that's the beauty of the work that i do is just i I love living it and i love that you're doing it too that you're walking your talk and Mm. i see how you're talking to other people and Mm. people that we have in common as 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 friends and community members the way that you express yourself Mm. is very much i know in the way that you are 
walking your talk and, mm -hmm. and teaching it. So we were just talking a little bit about uh, needs and strategies and how that works into play with communication. Mm -hmm. so yeah, well, let's just step back a little bit and review the NBC model. It may be new for some of the listeners. In the uh, nonviolent communication or compassionate communication model, there's four very important parts that we focus on. The observation, the feeling, the need, and the request. So these make up uh, the, the communication model. And I'm either expressing myself to the other person, we call that the honesty part, I'm expressing my observations, feelings, needs, and requests, or I'm hearing your observations, feelings, needs, and requests. Honesty, empathy. I'm listening and being empathetic to you. When you're speaking, I speak then, and you hear me, and you listen empathetically to me. So honesty and empathy is that flow back and forth between two people. And the components, the four parts that we're using in our conversation as I'm sharing or as you're sharing is the observation, feeling, need, and request. So we talked earlier in our, our last conversation, we talked about a lot about the feelings and the needs. This time I thought it'd be really fun and interesting to talk about the needs and the requests. It's something that can very easily get confused because, again, in the, in the way that we use the word normally in, in our co normal conversation is we'll say something like, I really need you to make more money for the family, or I really need you to spend more time with me. That is a very important distinction that we make in NBC, the difference between a need, which we often will call a universal human need, meaning that every human being has a need for this thing, sustenance, safety, love, empathy, creativity, community. These are all what we call universal human needs. Every human being, regardless of their age, regardless of their education level, economic status, whatever. We all have these needs. And then there are the ways that needs get met. And in the NVC model, that's called the strategy or the request. And so we want to learn to make that distinction. And then as we communicate, to be really clear about separating those two things out. So if I say to my partner, you know, I noticed that yesterday when we were talking, you walked out of the room when we were having a conversation. So that's just the observation. You walked out of the room when we were having a conversation. Then I name a feeling. I say, well, I felt really scared and sad because I was really needing understanding and empathy. And, and there you go back to that feeling. Yeah. Right? Scared. And, yeah. And connected to the need. Yeah. And then I make a request. If that situation comes up again, would you be willing to let me know that you wanted to leave before you leave? Something like that. So make some kind of specific request. So in the NVC world, there are two types of requests, what we call action requests and connection requests. This is a very useful distinction to be able to make. Here's a good tool, people. You're going to get a good tip right now. <laughs> Listen to this. It's a good one. Uh-huh. And in fact, the, the connection request is mostly what we will use when we're having a, a conflict conversation with somebody. So action request is ex exactly what it sounds. Would you please do something or you know some specific thing that I would like you to do? A connection request is 
a request in that moment for the other person to share something with me, to share a thought or a feeling of what's going on for them in that moment. So I might say, you know, when you left in the middle of our conversation, I felt hurt and sad because I was really needing connection and to be understood. And then the request would be, would you tell me what's going on for you having heard me say this? Or would you be willing to tell me what you heard me say so I can know if I was able to make myself clear? So those two connection requests are actually what most helps people work through a conflict as opposed to jumping right to the action request of, hey, next time would you please tell me that you're wanting to leave before you do, something like that. Yeah, and that request is also an element of curiosity and interest which I think takes away from the pushing again of blaming accusatory. If I all of a sudden get more in the realm when I'm making a request and also, as you said, can you tell me what's going on for you? All of a sudden I open up to curiosity, interest, and I've got to be open to what I hear and not to have myself talk, come in and conclude it and judge it, perceive it that way, argue it, defend it but keep that openness of that curiosity. So it's yeah. really switching right from some of the things that we were talking to, how the mind wants to go to that negative bias to have that opening to see the possibilities of this person is not doing something to me to hurt me and so forth. Let me be curious of what's going on for them. Yeah. Curiosity is so important. Right. I mean, we all know the experience of when someone comes up to us, you know, most of the time, maybe not all the time, but most of the time in a conversation or someone walks up to us, whatever, and says, hey, Steve, what's going on with you today? Or, hey, I heard that you went to that show. What was it like? We'd like to be asked what our experience is, what our reality is, what's going on for us. We love that. And when people don't do that, then likewise, we feel the tightness, the stress, the whatever of like really wanting to, someone to be care about us and they're not caring the way that we want them to. And, that and feels we, like, we like when somebody asks that and they keep asking instead of saying, hey, and how was that concert? And you said, wow, it was really cool. I saw Stevie Wonder. And then they say, I love Stevie Wonder. I saw him and blah, 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 right? right. So many people don't know how to keep that first inquisitive curiosity for more openness yes. and yes. not to go ahead and take the stage again back yes. to tell their experience, but to keep opening up to curiosity. Yeah, and, and a lot of the difficulty around what you're describing there, people, is because most people are in an empathy deficit. Hmm. Because we don't have, as a you know, in general, as a society, we don't have a lot of skill around listening and listening well and being empathetic and being curious. That we're operating on this deficit, and so we're like looking for a situation. How can I get more understanding and being heard and so forth? And instead of really knowing how to nourish each other with deep listening, then there's kind of the struggle to try to be on this, be on the stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I want to do a podcast episode on talkaholics. <laughs> right? I mean, everybody knows when you may be one out there yourself, <laughs> how critical and challenging that is to be able to stay in contact and relationship with somebody, but really exert their needs right now to say yeah. something to the effect of, hey, I just want to let you know, you've been speaking for the last five minutes and I've noticed that you haven't asked me a question or inquired to anything that you might be interested in me. Are you wanting to have a dialogue with me? Yeah. Because if you're not, I'd like to put my attention over there to somebody who might. Yeah. 
when I say that to people, if they try that on, they just, they look at me like a ghost. It's like, no way. I just tell that person, oh, I got to go. I got to pick up my son. Yeah. Right? yeah. We don't go ahead and, and really confront that aspect without blaming and shaming, which yeah. comes into aspects of using the NBC. Yeah. yeah. Marshall used to use the phrase, interrupting a conversation to bring it back to life. Mm. And I love that. You know, when we're talking at each other, instead of really listening and empathizing and so forth, that there's a lot of unsatisfactory feelings going on with that. But we don't know what else to do, so we just, you know, be our polite self, most of us, and then just tolerate it and then avoid the person in the future. So do you think that person that has that tendency, I'm going to just label it the mm -hmm. talkaholic, mm -hmm. has that empathy deficit themselves? Yeah, they, they not only have empathy deficit, but they very often have some kind of a pain, some kind of a chronic unmet need going on for them. And they don't know how to get the need met either. They don't know how to ask for it to get met. And so they just do whatever they did in their family or whatever. And they don't also probably take the time to pause because a lot of the talkaholics just go without pausing. Yeah. And I would imagine if they pause, they would have to feel some of those feelings mm -hmm. about a need that's not being met. Mm -hmm. So just keep going, glosses over that pause yeah. to be able to even feel yeah. And so this interrupting a conversation to bring it back to life is a very powerful practice, can really help relationships. And it's scary, like you were just saying, you know, it's, it's a scary thing to go beyond just our politeness and to actually be honest, because a lot of politeness is not being honest. It's, it's pretending. And anytime we pretend, in the long run, it's detrimental to the relationship one way or another. And we don't interrupt the conversation in order to bring the attention to me, we interrupt the conversation in order to deepen the connection. Right. Right? So if, you're, if you've been talking at me for five minutes and I'm feeling myself drifting away and not wanting to be here, I could actually say, hey, Prepo, I'm just noticing that I'm like, my mind is drifting away and I'm not really feeling connected to you. Would you be willing to like tell me, you know, you've been talking about your story with your grandfather. Would, would you tell me like, how do you feel right now thinking about that story? Like what goes on for you? And you may then go back up into your head again. Oh, well, he was a this and he was a that. And so then I can help you if I choose to. There's no, no shoulds about this. Okay. But, if, but if I wanted to, I could say, so it sounds like you're saying that that experience was really frightening for you. And that that had a huge impact on your life. So I can actually help you to get connected to your body by interrupting in order to bring the conversation more aliveness, which means, of course, feelings and needs rather than just stories. Yeah. And you can do that Jerry Maguire part. Help me help you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so one aspect is if I want to get close to you, but you're drifting off and you're going on, but I want to, I want to hear the feelings to feel connected to you. I want one way is for me to help you to actually help me get my need met of yes. intimacy and connection. Yes. So I know there's a lot of people say, well, why do I got to be the one that goes ahead and tells that person in Corral? It's like, well, if you have a need that you want connection, go take care of yourself mm -hmm. and go get connection. Yeah. You know, and giving each other feedback, you know, is obviously incredibly important to the well-being of any relationship. And one of the things that I found is really, really helpful when we're giving feedback is to 
put it in the context of, I'm doing this because I care about the quality of our relationship. I'm doing this because I want to feel closer to you. And so if we just give our feedback, like, hey, you know, you've been talking for five minutes, and, and then even worse, if we throw in a judgment, how can you be such a narcissist? Yeah. Like, we just throw in a judgment, then that person is going to be really triggered. In fact, I want to get into that actually in a little bit here. I want to get mm. triggered from evolutionary psychology, what we know now about criticism and blame and so forth. But so if I can say, hey, I really want to feel closer to you right now, or, you know, because I really care about our relationship, I want to talk about this pattern that goes on between us. It makes it easier for he people to actually hear feedback if they know that it's for the purpose of connection rather than thinking that I'm wanting to just blame and criticize them for being wrong or something. Some of the past episodes that I've talked about, the first one was about connection my experience working with couples so much, and of course my own life, is that we really need to connect in order to communicate. Mm -hmm. A lot of people look at the other way around, but my feeling is if I'm not connected with somebody, doesn't matter how precise I speak to it, it can go awry. Right. If my communication does go awry, but if I'm connected, then that's fine. Yeah. But I can feel it. So connection is so vital. And just naming that in the way that you just said that is, Name it the need of connection also brings connection. Mm -hmm. So our communication will go better. If I know mm -hmm. that the reason why you and I are speaking or the reason why you're asking or inquiring or feeling the way that you're feeling because you actually truly want to feel connected to me, right? I would imagine that a lot of my walls or the things that I keep up around that are going to come down so I'll be more open to know, yes, that's what I want to. Yeah, beautiful. And this reminds me of this this field of psychology that's pretty new when we were in college, I don't, I don't think the name was even around, but you know, evolutionary psychology. Yeah. And only, I've only heard it in the last like 20 years or so. It's really fascinating because the more that we learn about evolution, the evolution of the brain and the nervous system and so forth, some amazing insights are coming to the surface. And there's two in particular that I have found uh, really helpful to my own growth and development over the years and with helping the people that I work with. And this gets a little geeky, so I'll... I'll geek us out, baby. Just I won't geek spend us out. too much time on it. Uh, but for those of you who like to know, the term that I've seen used that I really like is a thing called mismatched instincts. All right, so what does that mean? So we all know that instincts are those things that exist in our nervous system that happen automatically. And so as we've been evolving for millions of years, you know, we first were, we were reptiles and, and the brain stem that we have in our bodies right now is actually from that reptilian past of ours. Right? And then the limbic system started developing when we became mammals. And then the cortex when we became primates and then the prefrontal cortex. So, all along the way, there were various instincts that we developed through natural selection in order to help us thrive as animals. But now, as modern humans, we live in such a radically different environment than we lived in for all the rest of the past that this has set up this very significant challenge for us. So I think one of the most obvious mismatched instincts is the instinct that when we see food, it looks good, all right? I don't know a name for that <laughs> instinct, so I just call it the seafood look good instinct. 
And we all know the experience of like, say we go out to dinner, we have a nice spaghetti dinner, we walk out of the restaurant, we're, we're full, we actually maybe even ate a little bit too much, and we're walking back to the car, and we pass the chocolate shop. And we're like, ooh, fudge, that looks good. We've already eaten more than we wish we had, certainly more than we need calorie-wise, but that fudge still looks good. Mm. And so maybe we buy some, maybe we don't, whatever, we go home. And now I'm thinking about that ice cream in the freezer. (laughs) And I think, ooh, that looks good. And then whatever else that might be around us, that looks good. So this instinct to see food and look good was very adaptive. It was a very adaptive instinct as we were evolving for all of our animal history because food supply was irregular. And so nature would say, yes, eat three, four, five, ten times more calories than you actually need today because you don't know when you're going to find food next. Right. Right? So, Lack. Yeah. So that's, and that is what we call a mismatched instinct. So, mm. Because now we're surrounded by food 24 hours a day, seven days a week, most of us. I'm rarely more than a few feet from food. I mean, I'm sitting here next to my backpack having walked up to your house and I brought some cheese with me and (laughs) as a snack, right? And so we're rarely ever more than a few feet from, from food. And so this is a problem for us. We have this instinct, see food, it looks good, eat it, even though I don't need the calories, right? But that's not the main instinct, mismatched instinct that I think hampers us as human beings. The one that I think most adversely affects us is the one that they call the negativity bias. Hear that, people. This is a big one in human beings' life. And What did you say earlier? It's the number one? Well, it's uh, my opinion. Yeah, I, I give it your opinion, Steve. My, my opinion is that the negativity bias is the greatest cause of human suffering, bar none. We're going to pause for that and mm-hmm. let you guys really sink into that. Say mm-hmm. that again, please. Yeah, the negativity bias the tendency to see what's wrong and feel deeply about something that we don't like or unmet needs, as opposed to noticing what's right and feeling strongly about needs being met. The tendency to notice what's wrong as opposed to noticing what's right is the number one cause of human suffering. And I would say the number one cause of relationships breaking up that I see is when the focus is focused on a negative bias and not what people see that they're preached above, that they're feeding in the relationship, that connection. When that is the mainstay and that grows, that's what brings people apart. Very simple in that way. I mean, it's very simple in that way. Totally agree. So this negativity bias uh, as you know, uh, Rick Hansen, some of your listeners may know, Buddhist psychologist, he wrote, the human mind is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive experiences, right? I, I can see it. from your face that you're I familiar that. with that. I use that <laughs> almost every day, seriously. That's like my bread and butter saying. I, I totally, people just nod and they go, yep, uh-huh, I get it, uh-huh. I get it. I said, you have to inundate the positivity yeah. for it to stick. Right. You've got to just bombard right. it. And so the research, you know, and relationship research shows that for a relationship to be sustainable, most people have to have a minimum of five positive interactions to every one neg- negative interaction in order to balance out the intensity of the feelings right. and the experience, right? So what does that mean? My partner says, you know, Steve, I can't believe you, you know, forgot to bring home the eggs yesterday. Damn, 
damn, I really wanted those for breakfast, right? So here she says this thing and, you know, and I take it in like, oh, and I kind of really feel that, right? So what the theory is that now she and I need to have five positive interactions of some sort. Hey, you know, really appreciate the dinner we had last night and thanks for cuddling with me this morning. You know, we're going to have to have five positive things between the two of us in order to balance out that one negative because of the negativity bias. We take in so deeply, we feel these things so deeply as opposed to when a need is met, it almost doesn't even register. In fact, most of the needs that are met for us throughout the day don't even register. register. Exactly. Even that five to one ratio that that study from the Gottman Institute, that's even also in conflict, right? That five to one ratio is actually, you have to have five more positive interactions when you're in conflict. There's studies that show overall it's 20 to one, right? When there's no conflict, most of the time people are in judgment or criticalness, criticism and so forth and yeah. complaint. And so in that, it's subtle, but you can switch that around of little things. Even it was in my appreciation episode, even when I said, you know, one time I said to my wife, oh shit, babe, when I was angry. And it was like, oh, she was excited because she said, oh, I know you're angry, but you still love me. Right there, I was (laughs) one-to-one. So even in the conflict, even if it's a reaching out of just listening, if they're reaching out of, oh, okay, I'll let you go. Go ahead, speak. Right there is feeding into that positivity. But that bias is so strong. I know when somebody criticizes, oh, uh, you know, your hair is out of place or this, boy, that sticks. Mm-hmm. But I, I had a hard time when somebody would give me a compliment. It took me a long time to be able to take it in. Mm-hmm. So many people don't take in mm-hmm. appreciations and compliments, but boy, when they get something that's thrown to them as a critical mm-hmm. negative, yeah. it so sticks. So, so working with that negative bias in our own minds is the first step. Yes. And having compassion for ourselves. I mean, so much comes back to having compassion for ourselves. And for me, part of what helps to have compassion for myself around my negativity bias and other people's negativity bias is to understand that this is one of these mismatched instincts, right? Or they call it our unchosen nature. We didn't ask to be born into this body that it has such a strong negativity bias, but we were. And the things that we value and emphasize in our culture really makes this a lot worse too, because all the millions of ads that we ever see are telling us we're not handsome enough, we're not thin enough, we're not rich enough, we don't have the right this or that, you're unhappy, you need this, et cetera, et cetera. The movies, the TV shows, yeah. it's so much about negativity. Yeah, and exactly. So, you know, as we were evolving for millions of years, we were prey. I mean, we were also predators, but we were also prey. And every prey knows that its survival depends upon being very observant of its environment. And so looking for what's wrong in our environment was an essential skill in surviving for millions upon millions of years. So our nervous system, our brains are designed to look for what's wrong. It doesn't help that you grew up in Cleveland. I grew up in Detroit. (laughs) It doesn't help to scan that environment, does it? (laughs) Exactly. So having compassion for ourselves. Okay, this is what I was born with. It's kind of like if I were born with a short leg or something, you know, okay, this is what I was born with. I'm going to deal with it. All right. So how do you deal with it? So, Well, deal with the negativity bias by cultivating the practice of gratitude. And anybody who's, you know, into 
personal growth these days knows that there's an explosion of gratitude awareness going on in our culture, which is really good news. And so you can go online and find tons of great stuff. But basically, you know, the short you know, version of it is focus on the needs that are met. I mean, you look for, look for what are the needs that are being met and you actually just drop into your body and feel the feelings that happen when you remember and or notice a need that's being met. So I just invite your, you and I right now and our listeners to just say, okay, think back to something that happened earlier today that a need of yours was met. Okay, well, something as simple as I sat down and had a nice breakfast. When you think right now about having like made that pancake and eaten that pancake with the syrup, or you had maybe a nice smoothie and you sipped that smoothie, or maybe you had a cup of coffee as you were looking out the window, we can actually generate those positive feelings in our body right now about these needs being met. And they have to flow. We can't cut them off with, I was drinking my cup of coffee and looking out the window and I saw it rained and I didn't like that it was raining. We have to cut that 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 negativity bias wants to even creep in, even when we're consciously doing absolutely, an exercise like that. Absolutely, you know. And in Zen Buddhism, there's this great saying. I love it so much. The quality of my life is determined by the focus of my attention. Mm, mm-hmm. That is so powerful. Sure, there's things around me and people and all kinds of things around me that affect my life. No doubt, I'm not an island. I'm a, I'm affected. But the matter of fact is, most of my happiness or unhappiness depends upon where I put my attention. Am I going to focus on the things that I regret, things that I fear? Am I going to focus on the things that I appreciate and and love and so forth? So the quality of my life is determined by the focus of my attention. When I shine the flashlight of my consciousness onto my needs that are met and feel that in my body, generate the actual feelings in my body, Probably 10 years ago was probably when I first came across this stuff. A friend of mine was teaching it to me and I was really noticing how negative I was back then. And, and so I thought, well, what can I do to generate more positive? So I made a list of like the 10 most uh, memorable moment, positive moments of my life. And I would go back to that list over and over again. If I, if, I were, if I felt stuck, I would remember these really powerful, beautiful moments. And actually, the earliest one in my life, you'll, you'll like this being a, a sports fan, the earliest really intensely positive experience that I remember was when I was about eight years old, going to the Cleveland Stadium for the first time. <laughs> Walk in and sing for the first time the green grass. Oh my! Yeah. Even before seeing that, Walking turning that. the corner and seeing the stadium, which I've right. never seen before, yeah, this, this monstrous, beautiful thing. And see, so. it doesn't take much, folks. It doesn't take much. <laughs> and then a whole bunch of other things, you know, right. in my life that I could go back to. But, and isn't it also the key is when we think about those memorable experiences that we have to bring it from a thinking process to the feeling process, the feeling of the appreciation or the gratitude or the passion that we had. Because to me, that's key is that we have to oscillate it because that vibration is going to give another cue to some other thought and feeling to surface. Yes. Stay in the body, feel the good feelings. And then that changes the neural pathways, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. The more that we focus on gratitude, the more we'll have neural pathways for gratitude and the more inner peace we'll have, and the more inner peace we have, the better relationships we will have. It just becomes an upward spiral. Right. 
Cool. The attitude creates an upward spiral rather than resentment and all that creating downward spirals. And unfortunately, that negativity bias is so strong that I know when some people, including myself at times, when I have a hard time going towards staying with that good feeling because I know that also I could go splat. That could go away. Mm-hmm. Something could come in. So I might sabotage because I don't want to feel too good because it might just go away or thinking about a person in a really positive light, knowing that, Ooh, I don't know if I want to keep that going because what if they leave me? What if, so there's a protection mechanism that comes in of, I'm not going to feel that good and that open and that vulnerable. Right. So we want to just not feel anything in the the hopes of not feeling something bad kind of thing. But the more skilled we become, at working with our awareness and working with our minds, right? And this is what a lot of practice is about. This is a lot of what Buddhism is. I'm no Buddhist expert, but the the parts that I have studied, like this seems to be a lot of what they're about, is like being mindful, practicing awareness, learning that I am the source of what happens inside of me and so forth. And that's not Pollyanna. You don't want Mm -hmm. people to think like, we're not just burying and denying the challenges. What we're doing is we're coming from them from a different perspective, a perspective that we can now handle those challenges from the aspect of what needs were met. If I know that these needs were met in appreciation and gratitude, then the things that I'm challenged by, I'll take that energy, that communication to be able to transform. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, people, because I don't ever want, people to hear in what I'm saying that you should not feel bad. Or if you're feeling bad, run away from that feeling. It's not about ignoring needs unmet. It's about noticing that there's way more needs met. Now, obviously for some people in the world who live in really difficult situations, that's not true. But for most of us, you know, especially in kind of the comfortable situation that we live in, there's so many needs met. So it's just a matter of noticing what's there. It's like, I love that recanton image, just shining the flashlight. It's about shining the flashlight to in all the needs that have been met and letting that feel that in my body. Yeah. And that we're the gatekeepers of that mind, that process, we're in control of that. And I know many people don't feel that, but what we're talking about here is creating a habit changing it mm-hmm. that we can do that ourselves it takes yeah. a lot of focus mindfulness awareness and practice yeah. but you can create that in your life yeah i mean everything in the universe is just habits it's just the repetition of some pattern that becomes into reality so habits can be changed and i heard something like a belief system is just a thought you keep thinking over and over again mm-hmm. so if you want to change your belief system just change that thought yeah and that thing you've probably read also, like 95% of the thoughts I had today were the same ones I had yesterday. <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> that thought process to think like, geez, that's how I'm judging through life. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's mostly unconscious. So sure. again. But that's what we're talking about here is we're bringing that unconscious to the conscious. Yeah, absolutely. The negative bias is very unconscious. Very Because unconscious. of the primordial aspect of scanning the environment to protect ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I remember being in college. This is one of the first like big wake up moments for me. <laughs> me and my friend, we were very into like learning about environmental stuff and justice stuff and like all the ain't it, ain't it awful stuff. We would sit down at dinner with our circle of friends and we'd go into our litany of all the things that we are learning about ain't it awful. <laughs> after a couple of weeks of this, one of our friends thankfully had the courage to say, Hey, do you guys have anything good to say? Right. 
Wow, was that a wake-up call. I'm, you know, it stung in the moment, but I was very grateful. Mm -hmm. So learning to be able to observe and notice the habits that we're doing, bringing them up out of the unconscious, where they're just running us on automatic, putting them up in front of ourselves so we can look clearly at them, and then we have choice. Choice. So yeah. choice, and when we have choice, then we're much more powerful to be able to create the life that we want for ourselves and with the people that we want. Yeah. I remember I was with a client years ago and he was petrified of dying. And he had the belief system that probably it just shuts off. The machine just shuts off and then that's it. And it just petrified him. So I asked him, I said, well, do you have any belief system that maybe something keeps going? Like part of you keeps going in consciousness. And he said, I don't have that belief system, but I don't rule it out. Mm -hmm. So I said, so how do you feel if you entertain that thought? And he said, well, I actually feel better thinking about that thought. I said, well, probably you want to start thinking that thought. If either one of you doesn't really make a big difference of what you think of, go for the better thought that feels better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instead of that aspect that brings fright and terror to yeah. you, right? And that's really challenging and today with, like you said, the bombardment of, of socialization and the media and so forth. It's right in front of our face of even when we are in a more positivity bias, boy, we have to combat and we have to protect ourselves and put those boundaries up and saying, you shall not pass. No, that yeah. negativity. But I don't have to shut out my compassion or I don't have to shut out my awareness, but I don't have to give into that aspect of where that negativity wants to take me away from. Yeah certain needs that they're being met and appreciation and gratitude. Because yeah. I think that's so important of how then that pertains to how then we relate to other people. Yes. And that's the big one. Yes. How does it affect our inner peace? How does it affect our relationships? And again, I wouldn't want in any way to say that, you know, negative thoughts or negative awarenesses, whatever, are bad. And from an NVC perspective, nonviolent communication perspective, Everything we ever say or do is an attempt to meet a need. Even every time that I'm focusing on the negative, it's being driven by a need. And so that's part of the healing process. That's part of the growth process to help heal our, from our negativity bias is to be able to say, okay, wow, I've just noticed the last 10 minutes, my mind has just been going on and on about how my you know, son isn't doing what I want him to do. And, and I'm judging him and I'm judging myself. Okay, What's the need behind here? Oh, I really care about his well-being. Okay, now let's come from that energy. I really care about your well-being, son. I'm feeling really scared. I'm wondering if you would be willing to consider, right? So we can take those negativity bias thoughts and actually find the gold that's driving them as well. Right. And I'm feeling some of that negative bias of looking again at that time clock for you. <laughs> We're over the time that I said I was going to watch, but my need was still wanting to connect and finish this. So what's the beauty of all this is we're going to continue this again. Yeah. And so that's, that's going to be the beauty part of it. Man, this was, a, this was a nice journey on this one. I look forward to being back with you, people. Cool. Thanks, Steve. Mm -hmm. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. 
For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartshareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us. Mm-hmm.